Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of Zollinger-Ellison syndrome found under the gastrointestinal section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 42-year-old male presents to the clinic complaining of upper abdominal pain. He reports he is under considerable stress at work and smokes a pack of cigarettes every day. The pain occurs between meals and is worse at night and often wakes him up from sleep. On one occasion, he vomited blood. Testing reveals a basal acid output of 60 milliequivalents, with a normal range being less than 5 milliequivalents, and a serum gastrin level of 1,000 picograms per milliliter, with a normal range being less than 300 picograms per milliliter. Let's continue with an introduction to Zollinger-Ellison syndrome. Clinically, it is defined as a syndrome characterized by the secretion of gastrin by duodenal or pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors referred to as gastrinomas. Conditions that are associated include multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1. In terms of the pathogenesis, there's excessive gastrin secretion from the gastrinoma, which leads to high gastric acid output. Remember that gastrin has a trophic action on gastric parietal cells and histamine-secreting enterochromaffin-like cells. The high gastric acid secretion overwhelms the neutralizing capacity of the pancreatic bicarbonate secretion, resulting in low pH of intestinal contents. The low pH inactivates pancreatic digestive enzymes and thus interferes with the emulsification of fat by bile acids. This results in maldigestion and malabsorption. The high serum gastrin concentrations inhibit the absorption of sodium and water by the small intestine. In terms of the epidemiology, this has an annual incidence of about 0.5 to 2 per million people and a high incidence in men compared to women. Also remember that only about 25% of gastronomas arise in the pancreas, with the majority occurring in the duodenum. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms may include symptoms of peptic ulcer disease, heartburn, weight loss, and diarrhea. And on exam, one may note abdominal tenderness. In terms of further imaging, remember that various imaging techniques are indicated for tumor localization. These include upper endoscopy, contrast-enhanced computed tomography or magnetic resonance imaging, and somatostent receptor scintigraphy. An endoscopic ultrasound is usually indicated prior to surgical resection as it has greater sensitivity in detecting small tumors. In terms of further studies, remember that the diagnosis is primarily based on clinical presentation, such as from refractory peptic ulcers. Other studies, however, can include a fasting serum gastrin concentration and a gastric pH. This is the best initial test. A serum gastrin value greater than 10 times the upper limit of normal or greater than 1,000 picograms per milliliter in the presence of gastric pH less than 2 is diagnostic. A secretin stimulation test is indicated in patients with elevated gastrin and low gastric pH that is not diagnostic. It differentiates gastrinomas from other causes of hypergastrinemia, such as antral G-cell hyperplasia. Remember that patients with gastrinomas will have a dramatic rise in serum gastrin following secretin stimulation, and normal gastric G-cells are inhibited by secretin. A calcium infusion study is indicated in patients with strong clinical suspicion despite a negative secretin stimulation test. And an evaluation for MEN type 1 would involve serum parathyroid hormone levels, 
ionized calcium levels, and prolactin levels. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about antral G-cell hyperplasia, with distinguishing factors being that this will demonstrate a poor response to secretin stimulation and an absence of gastronoma on imaging. In terms of treatment, first-line options include medical management with proton pump inhibitors such as omeprazole and H2 receptor antagonists such as ranitidine. Surgical resection eliminates the need for anti-secretory medical therapy and it protects against the morbidity and mortality of metastasis. And lastly, complications related to Zollinger-Ellison syndrome include a stricture, perforation, and metastatic gastronoma. Remember that the liver is the most common site and the most common cause of morbidity and mortality. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to Zollinger-Ellison syndrome, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 43-year-old man presents to the office for worsening heartburn and abdominal pain for the past eight months. Additionally, he has lost 10 pounds over the past year and has occasionally vomited small amounts of blood. He has trialed several antacids, including pantoprazole and ranitidine, with little relief. He denies any smoking, alcohol, or drug use. His father has a similar history of heartburn as well as hyperparathyroidism. On physical exam, he has marked epigastric tenderness without rebound or guarding. An upper endoscopy reveals multiple ulcers in the distal duodenum. Biopsies from these ulcers are negative for Helicobacter pylori. Given the most likely diagnosis, what other symptom is this patient most likely to experience? And the answer choices are Choice 1 episodic flushing. Choice 2, high-volume watery diarrhea. Choice 3, necrotic skin rash. Choice 4, pitting edema. Or choice 5, steatorrhea. The best answer to this question is choice 5, steatorrhea. This patient with heartburn refractory to multiple medications multiple ulcers in the distal duodenum on endoscopy, and a family history suggestive of multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1, as evidenced by hyperparathyroidism and heartburn, likely has a gastronoma or Zollinger-Ellison syndrome, which can present with steatorrhea. A gastronoma is a neuroendocrine tumor that secretes gastrin. Most gastronomas arise sporadically. However, some occur in association with multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1. The increased levels of gastrin stimulate parietal cells in the stomach, which leads to increased gastric acid secretion and a very low pH level in the stomach. This in turn leads to deactivation of pancreatic enzymes responsible for fat digestion, resulting in lipid malabsorption and steatorrhea. Patients are also predisposed to the development of peptic ulcers, most often in the duodenum. Serum gastrin levels in a secretin stimulation test can aid in the diagnosis. Management includes antacids and octreotide to reduce acid production and surgical resection in patients with localized disease. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Episodic flushing may result from elevated serotonin levels seen in carcinoid tumors that have metastasized to the liver. While it is also a gastric tumor, endoscopy would reveal a submucosal mass 
not multiple ulcers in the duodenum. Additionally, another characteristic symptom of a carcinoid tumor is bronchospasm, which is not seen in this patient. Choice 2. High-volume watery diarrhea may result from elevated vasoactive intestinal peptide, or VIP, levels seen in VIPomas. VIPomas are often seen in association with watery diarrhea, hypokalemia, and achlorhydria, also referred to as WDHA syndrome, and while they are associated with MEN type 1, they would not cause heartburn refractory to multiple medications and the endoscopic findings seen in this patient. Choice 3. Necrotic skin rash may be seen in patients with a glucagonoma. These tumors secrete glucagon and lead to hyperglycemia and neuropsychiatric symptoms such as depression and ataxia, which are not seen in this patient. Choice 4. Pitting edema may be seen as a result of hypoproteinemia, which can result from menetria disease or protein-losing enteropathy. Patients with menetria disease can similarly present with abdominal pain, but they do not typically have refractory heartburn. Finally, a bullet summary. Zollinger-Ellison syndrome is associated with multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1 and can present with heartburn refractory to multiple medications, peptic ulcer disease, and steatorrhea. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 42-year-old man presents to his primary care provider for abdominal pain. He reports that for several months, he has been experiencing a stabbing pain above the umbilicus during meals. He denies associated symptoms of nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. The patient's past medical history is significant for hypertension and hyperlipidemia, for which he takes amlodipine and atorvastatin. His family history is significant for lung cancer in his father. The patient is a current smoker with a 20-pack year smoking history, and he drinks 3 to 5 beers per week. Initial laboratory testing demonstrates a serum sodium of 141 milliequivalents per liter, serum potassium of 4.6 milliequivalents per liter, serum chloride of 102 milliequivalents per liter, serum bicarbonate of 25 milliequivalents per liter, serum urea nitrogen of 14 milligrams per deciliter, serum creatinine of 1.1 milligrams per deciliter, serum glucose of 120 milligrams per deciliter, serum calcium of 8.4 milligrams per deciliter, an alkaline phosphatase of 66 units per liter, and aspartate aminotransferase, or AST, of 40 units per liter, alanine aminotransferase, or ALT, of 52 units per liter, a gastrin of 96 picograms per milliliter, with a normal range being less than 100 picograms per milliliter, and a lipase of 90 units per liter, with a normal range being less than 160 units per liter. The patient is started on a proton pump inhibitor without symptomatic improvement after six weeks. He is referred for an upper endoscopy which demonstrates erosive gastritis, three ulcers in the duodenum, and one ulcer in the jejunum. Biopsy of the gastric mucosa is negative for Helicobacter pylori. Which of the following is the best next step in management? And the answer choices are, choice one, calcium infusion study, choice two, empiric triple therapy, choice three, secretin stimulation test, choice four, serum chromogranin A level, or choice 5, serum prolactin level.
The best answer to this question is choice three, secretin stimulation test. This patient presents with dyspepsia, a borderline elevated serum gastrin level, and duodenal and jejunal ulcers, which suggest a diagnosis of Zollinger-Ellison syndrome. The next best step in management is a secretin stimulation test to confirm the diagnosis. Zollinger-Ellison syndrome is caused by gastrin-secreting neuroendocrine tumors referred to as gastrinomas. These are typically found in the duodenum or pancreas. Zollinger-Ellison syndrome commonly presents with abdominal pain and diarrhea, and patients may have evidence of peptic ulcer disease in the duodenum and jejunum on upper endoscopy. The diagnosis may sometimes be established by a serum gastrin level greater than 10 times the upper limit of normal or greater than 1,000 picograms per milliliter with a concurrent gastric pH less than 2. In patients for whom the gastrin level is not elevated but often borderline high, the diagnosis may be confirmed with the secretin stimulation test. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Calcium infusion study has less sensitivity and specificity than the secretin stimulation test, but it may be used if clinical suspicion is high and the secretin stimulation test is negative. Choice 2. While empiric triple therapy is used as treatment for H. pylori, this patient's biopsy was negative for helicobacter pylori. Also, H. pylori does not usually cause ulcers to form in the jejunum. Choice 4. Although serum chromogranin A level is usually elevated in Zollinger-Ellison syndrome, it is not routinely used as a diagnostic test for the condition because of its lack of specificity. Choice 5. Serum prolactin level is indicated as a screening for prolactinoma in patients with multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1. However, this patient should first undergo further testing to confirm the diagnosis of a gastrinoma. Finally, a bullet summary. Patients with the borderline high serum gastrin level and ulcers in the duodenum and jejunum on endoscopy should undergo secretin stimulation test to confirm the diagnosis of Zollinger-Ellison syndrome. That's all for this review about Zollinger-Ellison syndrome. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.